Hello, everyone. Thank you, Ed. That was a lovely introduction. Yeah, <laughs> like, like Ed said, I'm Harry. I've been coming here for a few years now. Um, I moved down to Exeter in uh, September 2019 uh, to do my PhD. And like Josh uh, mentioned last week, I'm also one of those people who moved down to Devon, down to Exeter, and now I'm stuck here because it is a really, really lovely place to live. So, yeah, I love that. Yeah. So, today, we are looking at Mark 9. And, of course, I'm going to say this, but I think this is a really good bit of the book. This is my favorite bit of the book. Or it is now, at least, anyway. Um, this is where it really starts to get going. If you thought everything that had already happened was pretty good, this is where it gets even better. So two weeks ago, we had George speaking on the power of crumbs, which is an odd sermon title, I know, but it was really good. If you missed it, I would highly recommend catching up. There was a podcast, I think, with all the talks on. Um, and then last week, we had Josh speaking uh, about how we should, um, you know, the power of words and what we speak and how we should be careful about what we listen to and what we speak. Is that a good enough summary, Josh? Yeah. <laughs> uh, there was more to it than that, to be fair. <laughs> But, but in both, we could have just said that and, and been gone. No. <laughs> so in, in Mark 7 and Mark 8, we've been seeing hints towards the answer uh, to a question that this book has been leading up to. It's kept coming up. You know, who is this who calms the waves? Who is this who has power to cast out demons? What is this wisdom that has been given to you? And, you know, who is this? Who is Jesus. In Mark 7, we saw the Syrophoenician woman addressing Jesus as Lord. And then last week, Jesus was walking along with his disciples, uh, and Jesus asked them, who, who do the people say I am? And they said, some say Elijah, others say John the Baptist, and still others, one of the prophets. Uh, and Jesus says, but who do you say I am? Uh, and Peter then answers, you are the Messiah. Well, this week, we see that Peter is absolutely 100% correct. Top marks to Peter. So if you have your Mark books with you, um, Donna, join me in turning to, it's on page 51, and it's like the second paragraph down. And it will be on the screen. It's already on the screens as well. Look at that. So after six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John with him. He led them up a high mountain. They were all alone. There in front of them appeared... What, oh, no, that was wrong. There in front of him, his appearance was changed. His clothes became so white, they shone. They were whiter than anyone in the world could bleach them. Elijah and Moses appeared in front of Jesus and his disciples. Two of them were talking with Jesus. Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good for us to be here. Let us put up three shelters. One will be for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. Peter didn't really know what to say because they were so afraid. Then a cloud appeared and covered them. A voice came from the cloud. It said, this is my son, and I love him. Listen to him. Turn the page. They looked around. Suddenly, they no longer saw anyone with them except Jesus. Turn the page just for that last little line there. <laughs> anyway. Um, so this, this part of the story is often known as the transfiguration, which is, is a slightly odd word, but basically means to be made elevated or more beautiful, transformed into something, something more beautiful. And so Jesus and two of his disciples walk up this big mountain, and Jesus was transfigured, and alongside them appears Elijah and Moses. 
So this made me think of one of my favorite hobbies because as a kid, I was really cool. I, I was a cool kid. And one of the things that really helped set my status as this cool kid, I'm sure every cool kid had one of these. I had a pretty comprehensive stamp collection. That's right. I collected stamps. Very cool, I know. Did anyone else, does anyone else here have a stamp collection? Yes. A few hours, more than I thought. Amazing. It's a good hobby. So I had a, I had a lot of fun. Um, you'd go to the shop, buy an assorted pack of stamps, and you'd go home and spend hours sorting them into different nationalities, then maybe ordering those nationalities in alphabetical order. And then maybe I'd have a change of heart and think, actually, no. I'm going to sort these thematically. So I'd have a sports section. I'd have an animal section, a bird section, maybe just a section with lots of the queen's head, uh, maybe a Christmas section. Then you'd have a real head scratcher when you come like, across a Christmas robin. Like, where does that go? Christmas or bird section? Who knows? It's a tricky one. A real head scratcher for, like, seven-year-old Harry. Anyway, you'll be happy to know... I soon grew out of this hobby, and I began to put my attention towards something much more interesting, shootout cards. Did anyone have shootout cards in here? Yes, Jack Bedford, I love that. <laughs> anyway, for those of you who don't know, shootout cards are basically collectible cards of premiership football players. And they, the, these cards, depending on like the ability of the footballer, so that the real, really good footballers would have more stars and the, the bad ones would have fewer stars. The really, really good ones, well, they had five stars and they were shiny. So you'd go away to the shop and you'd, you'd buy this pack of cards, open it, just, open it, just hoping, 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 open, opening, anyway, hoping <laughs> that you would find the football player you needed to complete your team. That, or maybe you'd find a really good player like a, a Thierry Henry or a Frank Lampard. And just imagine the 11-year-old Harry's reaction if he opened this packet to find not one, not two, but three five-star shiny characters. You know, Thierry Henry, Frank Lampard, and Steven Gerrard. You know, this could not be happening. Anyway, I, I think that this maybe is something like what Peter felt like at the top of that mountain. <laughs> you know... <laughs> Thank you. You know, Jesus, Moses, and Elijah. Ah, oh, oh my word. So you, you might know that Moses and Elijah are two pretty big Old Testament characters. Moses is this, this legend who has led the Israelites out of slavery. They've been held captive in Egypt for years. And he takes them and parts the Red Sea and leads them into freedom. He then boshes out the Ten Commandments with God, and um, there's, there's a bit more to it than that, but um, he, he's an Old Testament legend. Now, Elijah, he's also a pretty big character. He stood against the king and queen at the time, because uh, they had been worshipping a different god, and he challenged them. He said, look, your god's not real. I'm going to put up an altar, and if your god's real, call on him and ask it to you know, set fire to that altar. So they go away and they do that, and as you might expect, nothing happens. Then, Elijah, being the, the showboater he is, decides to pour on gallons and gallons of water onto his altar uh, and calls upon the Lord, and boom, that altar sets alight. So these are two pretty big Old Testament characters. So like me and my shootout cards, Peter here has been presented with three five-star shiny characters. 
And his reaction is actually quite similar to what I would have done. I'd have opened this packet, scurried home, and found my little, little pack with the little pouches in, and I'd have stored them away. That's what he says. He says he doesn't know what to do. He says, shall we put up some shelters? One for Moses, one for Elijah, and one for Jesus. And I think this, this is where Peter has got it a little bit wrong. Because, because this is not just a list of three Old Testament prophets. No, this is two Old Testament prophets and the Son of God. You know, Jesus, Jesus is more than that. And I wonder if sometimes we forget that whilst Jesus is this very relatable person who walked and talked, he is also this all-powerful, almighty God who was there at the beginning of creation. You know, Jesus is the Son of God. He is God. And quite often we, we, we see Jesus as this baby in a manger at Christmas time, or at Easter we, we see him like on a cross. And, and those are amazing things. Like I don't want to take away from any of that. But, you know, we, we see Jesus as this, this really kind guy who's going around healing people and being really lovely. But I wonder whether we often think of Jesus as this, like, transcendent being, this transfigured Jesus. So in, in Revelation, we read this. This is like a description of Jesus. Dressed in a robe, reaching down to his feet, and with a golden sash around his chest. The hair on his head was white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were like a blazing fire. His feet were like bronze, glowing in a furnace. His voice was like that, the sound of rushing waters. In his right hand he held seven stars, and coming out of his mouth was a sharp, double-edged sword. His face was like the sun, shining in all its brilliance. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. Then he placed his right hand on me and said, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I was dead, and now look, I am alive forever and ever, and I hold the keys to death and Hades. Cool, that is huge. So, uh, you know, I wonder sometimes, like, have we let our view of Jesus become, like, too small or too manageable or too, like, expectable? You know, Jesus is not just another prophet. He is so much more than that. Uh, and I think this is important to dwell on because the Jesus that we we see it affects the Jesus that we worship. The way we view Jesus and the way we see Jesus affects how we worship him. You know, at Christmas, a lot of the carols marvel at the fact that this is God and he's humbled himself to be this little baby in a manger. Uh, and that's amazing. And we say, thank you, God, that you've done that. And then at Easter, we, we're kind of where we see Jesus on a cross uh, and we're moved that Jesus has gone through all of that pain, like he's gone through that horrific pain just for us. He's died so that we could have a relationship with him. Uh, and those are all really great things. Um, but here we see transfigured Jesus, transformed into something more beautiful. His clothes became dazzling white. You know, the reaction to the vision in Revelation was for, to fall at his feet. It says, when I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. So I'm aware that we've also got Anya coming to preach in a second. So I'm only going to give you one take home. And that is to say this, that when we worship you, worship you, when we worship, I want to encourage you not to only view Jesus as this baby in a manger or, or this man on a cross at Easter. Those are two great things. But I want to, us to also view Jesus as this transfigured Jesus, this guy with fiery eyes and like, you know, a face shining like the sun. Because the Jesus we see is the Jesus 
we end up worshipping. And, and actually, what, what's, to add to that, if the more we see Jesus as this like fiery-eyed, almost scary Jesus, the more incredible it is that Jesus then humbles himself to be that baby in a manger. And the more we see Jesus as this kind of fiery-eyed, scary person, the more amazing it is that he's just given his life up on a cross so that may, we may have a relationship with him. So to draw us back to the question at the start that I posed, you know, who is Jesus? So after putting up, uh, after suggesting putting up some tents, a cloud surrounds them and a voice says this, this is my son whom I love, listen to him. There it is, there's the answer. Jesus is not just another prophet in a collection of prophets. He is in a completely different category. Donna, Donna, join with me as, uh, as we pray. Lord Jesus, I thank you that in the Bible we see glimpses of, of who you are and what you're like. And I thank you that here we, we see you transfigured with your face shining, Lord. And I pray that we may see you more and more as this kind of huge, amazing person who, um, with fiery eyes, Lord. I pray that we might react more like that person in Revelation, falling at your feet at your beauty, Lord Jesus. Amen. 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 Can we give Harry a little round of applause? Thanks, mate. Well done. Well done. Before I introduce our next speaker, you've got one minute, and I want you to turn to the people around you, next to you, behind you, in front of you, and, and just ask yourself, what are you going to take away from that? What are you going to apply this week? What did it make you think? Okay, go. Okay. Our second speaker today is Anya Peters. We heard from Paul, her dad, earlier. She's also been doing our growth year, and she works alongside our youth and our students, and we're really excited that she's going to come speak to us. So, Anya Peters. Right. Hello, everyone. My name is Anya. Um, hello. For those of you who don't know me, um, I'm on staff here at St. Matt's doing the growth year, which is kind of the equivalent of an internship, which I'm thoroughly enjoying. Um, and this morning, <laughs> I'd love to talk to you about healing and what we can do about it. I don't know about you, but I'm extremely grateful for the medical profession. Um, when I was in year seven at school, sorry if you don't like feet, apologies in advance, I broke my toe by tripping over a friend's foot in gymnastics. And um, my mum picked me up from school that day as I was limping around. And we, she took me home and then <laughs> basically she was like, okay, let's have a look at your feet. And I was like, oh, gross, okay. And then my, my toe was all kind of green and purple and disgusting. So we phoned 111, seeked a little bit of advice. And they said, oh, come in for an x-ray. And then they said, yeah, your toe's broken. <laughs> but what we're going to see in this passage is that all healing is ultimately from God, which can be brought about through medicines or the medical staff using their God-given gifts um, of the natural healing or even the body of the natural process of healing. And there have been huge advances in medicine and even life expectancy has more than doubled in the last 100 years. But for all these advances, you'd look across the world and people are still ill and people are still experiencing diseases, whether it's in ourselves or our family or our friends. And it's only natural at this point to ask the question, 
Can God heal now and in today's society? I used to often ask myself the question, why would God heal one person and not the million other people out there who still aren't healed? As we continue our journey through Mark's gospel, we see how Jesus healed then and how this can impact us and our healing today. Let's read together from the Gospel of Mark booklet, starting at page 52, about halfway down the second column, about a man who brings his son to Jesus to be healed. A man in the crowd answered, Teacher, he said, I brought you my son. He is controlled by an evil spirit. Because of this, my son can't speak anymore. When the spirit takes hold of him, it throws him to the ground. He foams at the mouth, he grinds his teeth, and his body becomes stiff. I asked your disciples to drive out the spirit, but they couldn't do it. You unbelieving people, Jesus replied, how long do I have to stay with you? How long do I have to put up with you? Bring the boy to me. So they brought him. As soon as the spirit saw Jesus, it threw the boy into a fit. He fell to the ground. He rolled around and foamed at the mouth. Jesus asked the boy's father, how long has he been like this? Since he was a child, he answered. The spirit has often thrown him into the fire or water to kill him. But if you can do anything, take pity on us. Please help us. If you can, said Jesus, everything is possible for the one who believes. Right away, the boy's father cried out, I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. Jesus saw that a crowd was running over to see what was happening. Then he ordered the evil spirit to leave the boy. You spirit that makes him unable to hear and speak, he said, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. The spirit screamed. It shook the boy wildly. Then it came out of him. The boy looked so lifeless that many people said, he's dead. But Jesus took him up by the hand. He lifted the boy to his feet and the boy stood up. Even after I became more firm in my faith and I read more of the New Testament, I learned how Jesus and disciples went about healing people. So the question still remains, does Jesus still heal today? At my previous church, St. Andrews in Chorley Wood, every year they'd in invite Joe Moody and her team from America to preach and do healing. At first, I was really skeptical about the whole idea of healing in general. I just, to me, it was just so odd. I was also wrestling with a lot of conflicting thoughts. Like, would, why would God heal people if he was using sickness to teach people lessons? I knew nothing about Joe Moody and the rest of her team, so I just thought this whole thing was really weird. I had no idea what to expect, how they were going to talk about healing and then do healing. But I was more cu curious than expectant, so I went along with it anyway. A big part of these services was hearing testimonies, and Joe herself was miraculously healed by a, a serious nerve disease which lasted for 14 years. Also, as part of these services, Joe and her team would share words of knowledge and invite people up for prayer. I really had no idea what words of knowledge even were, but now I understand it as something that's revealed supernaturally, such as an impression, a picture, or a sympathy pain through the Holy Spirit. I very much doubted if this could even work, but they didn't once doubt the power of Jesus. During these services, many people went up for all types of sickness and disease. People all around me were being healed, and I thought it was the most incredible thing to experience 
and something that I'll never forget. There was this lady who was healed from anxiety and depression that really took over her life for so many years. There was a man that was healed from back pain and he, it affected his posture and he was able to stand upright again. And I started to believe that maybe God does heal today, but if he can, what should I be doing about it? Jesus gave authority to his followers, which also means all of us, the good, to spread the good news and to heal the sick. There's a verse in John 14, 12, which reads, Most assuredly, I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also. The greater works than these he will do, because I go to my Father. Jesus has anointed us with the power to do things that he has done, and even more. Can we truly believe that this is the case? In the passage we read from Mark's Gospel, Jesus rebukes the disciples for their unbelief, And the father of the child also asked Jesus to help him with his unbelief. I guess we can sympathize with Jesus' frustration because in Mark 6, verses 7 to 13, he had already anointed them with the power to cast out demons and to heal the sick. The disciples had already seen this power in action and seen it to work. From the passage in Mark 9, it seems that it took three attempts for Jesus to heal the boy to be rid of the demon. It is likely, therefore, that the disciples slipped into unbelief once they encountered resistance from the demon. Yet, Jesus never lost sight of his authority. If we are to share the healing power of Jesus, how do we then avoid slipping into unbelief? As unbelief is the enemy of faith. But it's important to recognize the difference between unbelief and doubt, as doubt can cause us to ask questions that we may be unsure of, whereas unbelief refuses to accept anything other than what we currently see, hear, or feel, or even what the doctor may have told us. Can we recognize that as children of God, we have been given this awesome power from God? In Ephesians 1, verses 19 to 20, Paul is praying that we know that the power has already been given to us, the power that rose Jesus Christ from the dead. The resurrection of Jesus has been described as the greatest demonstration of God's power, as the enemy would have done everything he could to stop it from happening. There was no such opposition when Jesus spoke heaven and earth into being. Could we resist the temptation to fall into unbelief where healing is concerned? In the Bible, Jesus never taught about healing, so how do we bring about his healing? We do this by believing that it is always his will to heal and realizing this through prayer and revelation through his word. For example, if I find myself slipping into unbelief, I'd repent and I'd say what my true confession is and I'd always refer it back to the word. We can choose any Bible verse that we want to, but my personal favorite is Psalm 103 verses one to five. Praise the Lord, my soul, In my inmost being, praise his holy name. Praise the Lord, my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your sins and heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit and crowns you with love and compassion, who satisfies your desires with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. How incredible is that? In closing, I believe that the best thing in life is to see people being healed right in front of you. Through healing, we reflect the love and compassion that Jesus has for all his people. 
I believe that God wants to release healing here right now. As such, the Lord has already provided it. It is as real as the forgiveness of sin. We just need to reach out in faith to receive it. Whatever you need, for it be mental or physical health or anything at all, we'd absolutely love to pray for you. Thank you. Thank you so much, Anya. Um, it takes a lot of bravery to get up in front of you lot and um, speak on a Sunday morning, but I'm really grateful that these guys did. Would you stand with me? I'd love to um, make an opportunity, some, some space, I guess, for us to pray for each other. Um, I'm also aware that our kids' groups are having a great time, but would love to see their parents soon. So.